Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can come into your presence, that we can even just be still and know that you are God. Thank you that you're a God that wants to communicate with us, a God who wants for us to hear your voice. Lord, help us to hear your voice this morning. Help us to listen. Help us to be drawn closer to you. Help us to fall more deeply in love with you. Thank you for your incredible matchless love for us that's revealed preeminently in the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'll never forget that phone call. As Leah called me, it was the summer of 2019, and she, she gave me some of the best news ever. She told me that, that the ultrasound was good. And then she told me some news that, that forever changed my life in a multiplication of ways that I didn't recognize was going to. She said, we're having twins. What? How's that possible? We put one embryo in there. I know there's only one embryo. You're having, we're having twins. Awesome. I was so excited about that. But as I began to Google and look, what are identical twins like anyway? What, what exactly is involved? How does this happen? I discovered something. Abby and Olivia were going to have the exact same DNA. The, the exact same genetic code. And that worried me a little bit. I thought, well, are they going to be their own person? They're just carbon copies of each other? Is there going to be no difference in them at all? So then when they were born, you know, they, they did look pretty similar. They looked almost identical. Um, but there were little differences, little things you could see here and there. And, and yet, as they've gotten older and older, Abby and Olivia... They are their own person, let me tell you. I mean, it, every aspect of their lives, we see their personality just flowing out of them, and they're only two years, two months old. I mean, when I go to lay them down, when they're going to take their nap or go to sleep, Olivia wants to make sure. She'll say, tuck me in in my blanket. But if I take Abby and I set her in her, she says, no blanket, no blanket. Exact opposites, you would think. Uh, the way that they eat, the way that they talk, the way that they walk, the way that they play, the things that they're passionate about. You can see that there is an individuality there. How does this happen when genetically they have the exact same DNA? What makes you the person that you are? What makes me the person that I am? And what person am I becoming? Who are you becoming? Well, the Bible gives us this incredible picture of what, he, what God has destined us for. And you know, when I used to, to think about heaven, the things that I was excited about were the things in Revelation 22 that talk about the streets of gold and, and the tree of life and, and the, the gems in the city and all these things. But, but I want to propose to you today that the most beautiful, the most powerful thing that you will experience is described in Revelation 22 and verse 4. Revelation 22 and verse 4 says it this way. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Did you capture that? I I know it doesn't sound just mind-blowing to you, but you are going to come face to face with this beautiful, incredible God of infinite love. And that will be the most captivating, the most transformative experience that you have ever that is what we are destined for and and in this this picture of us being able to come face to face with God we find that God is saying something about our foreheads once again 
that his character will be in our foreheads. And, and last week, we began to look at this idea of being marked and sealed and, and, and the character transformation that is going to take place more and more as we get to the end. That people will be coming more and more like the beast and more and more like the lamb. They'll be settling into the character either of Jesus or of Satan and of the beast. So God seems to have throughout the Bible this this interest in your forehead, this obsession with, with, with what's going on right here. And this is incredible because the Bible, the, the canon was closed 2,000 years ago. And we're going to find out that modern science reveals the incredible value of your forehead. But Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9 is what we've been looking at. And this is the opposite of that, that idea of the character of God being sealed into your, your forehead. Revelation 14 verse 9 says this, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. Now, here is a a clear uh, allusion to several Old Testament passages. This idea of your forehead and of your hand is, is... First described in Exodus chapter 13, then we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 11. So remember, when we're studying the book of Revelation, we need to remember that all the books of the Bible meet and end right here. And so we can't understand Revelation without understanding the the text of the rest of the Bible that's leading us to this. So let's just take a look at something in Deuteronomy chapter 4. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible or to follow along on the screen. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find this, this incredible statement that for Jews throughout the millennia since Moses wrote this has been what they grasp their identity from. It's called the Shema. It's called the Shema. And, and any, uh, any faithful Jew will say this every morning and every evening before going to bed. The Shema. And, and it's Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. But before we get to verses five, 4 and 5 that they would say every single day, we'll see why we're going to this. Because just like we found in Revelation chapter 14, there's this idea of the forehead and of the hand. Notice what it says in verse 8. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I want for these to be in your forehead and I want them to be for frontlets between your eyes. Now, it's pretty fascinating because Jews have taken this quite literally. They have, if you go over to Israel and you go to the Wailing Wall, you'll actually find that Jews will have tied around their forehead a box that has little parchment pieces of paper in there that have Exodus chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. These parts of the law will be actually there and they'll be tied to their forehead. And they do this when they pray. But in the time of Jesus, it was even more uh, of a sign of your, your holiness that you would wear this all the time. So that you can imagine somebody walks, walking around with a box on their head. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23 that, that they would actually broaden their phylacteries in order to get the attention of people. So, so the, the broader, the bigger your phylactery was, the bigger your box on your forehead, the more people would be like, ah, look at him. He's got the law on his forehead. Wow. What a holy guy that is. You know, Paul wrote and said, the letter kills, 
but the Spirit gives life. We have to be careful about just understanding the truths of the Bible and not letting them lead us to Jesus, lead us to understanding who God is in character. So let's, let's dive into this passage that, that is said in every synagogue, every, every Shabbat, every Sabbath. This passage that, that every Jew will say every morning and every evening, that, that for millennia has been what they have dwelt upon. And let us see for ourselves the value of this because we see that in the end, this is actually a symbol of what is going to be taking place in God's people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That first word for hear, that's where we get the, the word Shema. Shema, hear. It's fascinating because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's only one Hebrew word that's used for obedience. Sometimes it's trans- translated as obedience, I should say. It's Shema. There's a word for to do. Uh, there's a verb to, 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 to the idea that you're going to go and do something. But there is no verb besides this one for hearing, for obedience in the Old Testament. Did you know that? So when you read that, that God says to obey my laws, it's this. Hear, O Israel. And that's why when the prophets would, would be trying to get things across, they would say, you're dull of hearing. You're participating in idolatry. You're doing all these things. You're, you're not obeying because you're not listening. Hear, O Israel. Let this sink in. I want you to, to grasp the promises that I have given to you. I want you to grasp my word because as you grasp my character, this will change you from the inside out. O Israel, the Lord. The Lord there is, is the word Yahweh for, for the personal name of God. And whenever in your Bible you see Lord capitalized, that's, uh, that's actually the word Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. Yahweh our Elohim. That word God is plural. Now, this can be a plural of majesty, but it can also represent a plurality of more than one person. You know, this is what Jews for, for centuries have been, have been saying every single day, and they have been willing to reject Jesus because of this verse. But I want to suggest to you that actually this verse should lead us to accept Jesus as much as any other verse in the Bible. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Elohim, the Lord is one, Echad. Now, he could have used the word Yahid, which Yahid is, is a similar word, but it is for like your only son, to let you know that there is only one. But instead, it's Echad, which can be a compound unity. Like when God said, I made them male and female, and I made them to be one flesh. In Genesis, one flesh, echad, a, a compound unity, a relationship that comes together. Okay, so, so grasp this this morning because this is really, really powerful for our understanding of what the law is all about. It is based upon this character of God that is not just a sole single person, but that is three co-eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, echad. A, a unity of persons. And, and so this is, this is powerful because I can't today help you to grasp. I can't come anywhere near grasping myself what God is in physical nature. What his, his ontological being 
is like, I, I can't give you any concept of that because you and I are a part of creation. But what we can do is we can begin to grasp what this God is like in character. And the Bible simply says, God is love. And he is three persons who have existed in perfect selfless love throughout eternity. This is the only way that God cannot be selfish is to have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you have a single solitary being that is, is not three co-eternal persons, then you have a selfish person who is just existing for themselves with nobody else to focus on, and that being cannot be love. But when you have God described as three co-eternal persons, then you realize God is a social network. He's three persons. That, that, that God is passionate about relationships. That the fundamental reality is all about relationships. Now, we all know this. This is something that, that from the, the atheists who will have nothing to do with church to, to those of us that love Jesus, all of us grasp the importance of relationships. So this past week, I had the, the privilege of beginning a baptismal study with a, a young person who is actually the child of a youth person when I first became a, a young person when I first became a youth pastor. You begin to realize how old you are when you start giving baptismal studies to uh, people that you are a youth pastor the children of the people that you're a youth pastor to. But anyway, as I began this study, I said, so what's your favorite thing to do? He's like, oh, play video games. I said, okay, so would you rather play video games by yourself or with one of your friends? Oh, with one of my friends, of course. That's always the answer. To be together if we have positive friendships, if we have positive relationships, we want to be with others. You were designed for that. God is love. He is echad. He is one. And God said, let us make man in our image. Let's make man with this desire for perfect selfless love that's just ingrained in his heart and that he just longs for love every day of his life. And out of that comes verse 5 that a Jew would say every single day, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is vital for us. Both of these verses are vital for us as Christians because Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He went straight to this. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment right here. This is what it all boils down to for you as Christians. A wholehearted, whole-souled, all of our strength devoted to God. Now, how do we have this kind of love? God can't just come and tell you, okay, love me. God starts off by revealing who he is. A, a being of selfless, other-focused love as is revealed in the Trinity. And after having revealed that to you, as you begin to fix your mind on this beautiful reality of the relational nature of God, as you see that he cares more about you than his own existence, you respond in love, you're drawn, you want to come to him, and you begin to love him, you begin to open up your heart. That word for heart in the Bible, um, heart, 
the mind, because it's, it's referred to for Solomon, for example, that he was so wise in his heart that people would come from all over to hear his wisdom. Now, this isn't just his heart thinking, but it's actually referring to his, his brain. Um, with all of your soul, the word soul in Hebrew can actually refer to your appetites. It's an interesting way that it's used in Proverbs. Um, but it's, it's, you know, that, that inner, uh, all wholehearted, passionate love is being referred to here. And with all your strength, that can be referring to your physical strength, as well as the abundance that you have, the, the financial uh, abundance that you have, being able to, to use that, being motivated to use that out of the love that you have for God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is what needs to be sealed into our four what we need to begin to grasp in order for us to be able to withstand the coming crisis in this world. So verse 6 then goes on to give us a really practical instruction about this. It says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. They should be in your mind. Proverbs, uh, we look at this in just a second, but Proverbs 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What takes place in our minds is actually what gets worked out in our actions. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now the Jews actually memorized large portions of the Torah in order to make this happen. And I would encourage you to practice scripture memorization. I'd encourage you, and even if you think, I don't have a good memory, give it a try and your memory will begin to grow. But I think that we have to go beyond just the letter of the law. I wanted to... um, introduce you to somebody. Stanford neuroscientist David Eagleman wrote a book, The Brain, The Story of You. He teaches neuroscience at Stanford University, and he, um, he authored this book in 2017, and he says this about your brain. He says, all the experiences in your life, from single conversations to your broader culture, shape the microscopic details of your brain. So, so your brain is, is malleable, it's changeable, and, and that conversation that you had with somebody yesterday, that impacted your brain. But not just that conversation, but also the general culture that, that you have grown up in. This has is, this is formed your mind. It has impacted your brain. It's on to, to say it this way. Your brain is a relentless shapeshifter, constantly rewriting its own circuitry. Your brain is being transformed day by day through conversations, through different interactions with people, the things that, what people say, the things that you're listening to, the things that you're watching, all of these things are actually physically changing your brain. Did you know that your brain is changing constantly? And because your experiences are unique, so are the vast patterns in your neural networks. Okay, so, so in your brain, you have brain cells, right? This is going to be very basic, but you have neurons. And, and these neurons, when you think a thought, there's a connection, an electrical impulse. The synapse begins to take place, and you have a new neural pathway between two, two brain cells. And, and if you think that thought again, that, that pathway is strengthened, and it gets strengthened and strengthened. It's just like walking through a patch of, of, of weeds in a field, and, and if you follow the same path over and over, there's going to be a path that develops there. 
It's the same thing that happens in your brain. That's why we develop habits where we begin to do things without even thinking about it. We can get in our car, drive down the road, doing all types of complicated processes. Meanwhile, thinking about what we want to make for dinner or what somebody said to us at work. And we're off another world, not even thinking about what we're doing because our brain has developed to be able to handle that. If you want to learn to play the violin, play and practice long enough. And practice makes permanent. It doesn't make perfect. You got to practice perfectly to become a perfect violinist. But practice makes permanent. Anything that you do repeatedly, it begins to be ingrained and actually transforms your brain. Goes on to say, because they continue to change your whole life, your identity is a moving target. It never reaches an end point. So why is it that Abby is a different girl from Olivia? Their genetic code is the same, but they've been thinking different thoughts. And every thought that they think makes them a unique person. And every thought that you think shapes you. It forms you. It transforms you. You are not just a passive person in this planet, but every thought that you think is actually shaping your identity and your future. And God's design for you is that you will one day come before him face to face and his character will be fully recorded in your mind. That's the picture of what God wants for us. And it's described a little bit uh, more in Mind, Character, and Personality, a great book that describes how our minds work, how our character is formed, and what our personality, how our personality becomes. Volume 2, page 655, it says this, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. Many thoughts make up the unwritten history of a single day. And these thoughts have much to do with the formation of character. What you think about, the things that you dwell upon, where your thoughts go throughout the day, this forms who you are today. This is why you have uh, the, the positive attributes or the negative attributes that you have today. It's the thoughts that you've been thinking. God has a passion for your forehead, a passion that, that you uh, think thoughts that are uplifting, that are thoughts that are directed towards him. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 continues and gives us some, some specific things about how we can make sure that his commands, all of this law, is recorded in our heart. Now, in thinking about recording his word in our heart, before we go into more detail on that, Remember that the scribes and the Pharisees, those who, who were well-trained in Jesus' day, they would often memorize large portions of the Torah. They might have all five books of Moses memorized, large portions of Scripture committed to memory. They were constantly searching the Scriptures. They knew the Bible, honestly, better than I do. But notice what Jesus says in John 5.39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Again and again, Moses said, hey, if you follow these things, they will bring life to you. You're going, your life, you're going to experience well-being. And the law of God genuinely is positive for any group of people, whether or not they are believing in God and in the principles of who God is. You just look at how the Jews prospered in health, how they've prospered financially when they haven't been oppressed by other people. This nation has, has been benefited by the laws, whether or not they embrace Jesus. But notice what Jesus says. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, 
And these are they which testify of me, which, which bear witness to me, which, which point to me, which show what God is like in character. You see, if I study the, the law, if I study all these things, if I, if I just see it as a, a checklist that I need to understand, and it doesn't lead me to the person of Jesus Christ, if it doesn't lead me to realize what Jesus is like, I've missed the whole story. I've missed what it's all about. Because notice what he goes on to say in verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You see, the, the Jews might have had a knowledge about what the law said. They might have had a memorization of, of 613 laws. And they might have been diligently trying to perform those things. But the God who arranged for those laws in their mind was an arbitrary God. He was a God who would punish them if they didn't fulfill these laws. He was a God who didn't give them the laws for their good, but who was simply wanting for them to jump through the hoops. He was a God who they believed wanted for them to crush their enemies. A God that they believed wanted them to set up a nation that that would, would be able to enforce their morality. And they rejected Jesus when he came to town. So it's possible for me to understand the law and yet to miss Jesus. And I don't want for that to happen for me and I don't want that to happen for you. And, and Jesus tried to explain to uh, the entire audience that he was talking to in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He said, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I, I'm not trying to do away with, with the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That word fulfill is the same that's used in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus went to be baptized and John the Baptist said, no, 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 no. You're way holier than me. I I can't baptize you. Jesus said, permit it to happen to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to go through this so that I can live out the law perfectly for humanity. See, Jesus is the fulfillment. He came to live it out perfectly. If you want to know what the law is all about, look at Jesus. I encourage you to also study the Old Testament law and to look at it and to say, okay, how do I discover God's character here? But the easiest way is to start with Jesus. Look at Jesus. How did he treat people? How did he deal with uh, the laws that the Pharisees were concerned about? How did he deal with worship? How, if you have questions, look at Jesus. And then he goes on to say, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. You see, the law of God is just a transcript of his character. It reveals who God is. And so we get this odd notion in Christianity that the law has been done away with. The law has been nailed to the cross. I want to tell you something this morning that might be a little shocking to you. The law was nailed to the cross. Did you know that? 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived the law perfectly. The only human being who ever lived the law perfectly was nailed to the cross. The law was nailed to the cross. And it didn't do away with We'll talk more about that in a second. But the law is of value to you and me today because This is the way of life. It's not an arbitrary uh, imposed law that God has put on to us, but instead it's intrinsic to God's nature. 
And it's beneficial to, to us to get to know this law and to follow it with our whole hearts. To hear, O Israel, to hear, O Templeton Hills, to listen up and to follow what God is instructing us to do. So let's, let's look at how practical this gets. After the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. That word for diligently, to diligently teach, is the same word. The rest of the Bible, it's translated to sharpen, like to sharpen a sword. You're to, you're to take your child and to sharpen them, to get them focused, to get them uh, refined into understanding what my loving character is like. The God who is echad, who is one, who is a social unit. So that can happen at Sabbath school, right? That's a great way to get our, our kids to, to learn, to teach them diligently. We can take them to Sabbath school. They sing songs there. And, and I encourage you to bring your kids at 10 a.m. every Sabbath and get them to sing songs, to, to, to worship, to learn. And this has an impact on, on kids. You know, my little girls, they're two years old, but they come home from church and they're ready all afternoon to say, look who came to Sabbath school, Abby, Abby. And throughout the, the week, they're like, okay, let's, let's sit in the chairs. Let's play Sabbath school. Let's, let's sing this song from Sabbath school. Let's tell that sto- story from Sabbath school. Why? It's called neuroplasticity. Their minds are being formed by what they are participating in, what they're thinking about. So parents, I just want to encourage you. It's worth it. Get your kids to Sabbath school. That makes a huge difference in their lives. You don't have kids? That makes it a whole lot easier for you to make it to Sabbath school yourself. (laughs) Sabbath school is an awesome opportunity to think more thoughts about God. We have Sabbath school that meets here in person. Ron Chalker's been teaching the one here, and we have one that meets on Zoom. Encourage you. Make an effort to, to take every opportunity to fix your mind on Jesus. Then, uh, let's keep going, and we'll look at... Oh, so, but it shouldn't just be a thing at Sabbath school that we teach our children, but it should be a constant, continual thing where we are teaching our children about Jesus. And our children learn quickly. So this was back last, I believe it was October, uh, a few months before our girls turned two years old. And this book, I sat down to read it. And this is a book that has the ABCs with Bible stories in it. And suddenly I realized something about Abby. A is for... Abraham. B is for? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. C is for? Coat. D is for? Dorcas. E is for? Elijah. F is for? Fig tree. G is for? Gideon. Don't worry, I won't make you go through the whole thing. Hannah. She, I realized, knew the whole alphabet. And she knew it based upon... Jesus, based upon stories from the Bible. What more valuable thing can I possibly pass on to my kids? I want to be so much more intentional about this that that I am trying in every aspect of life to direct them to Jesus. There's so many things that I can teach them about, but the one thing that all of reality is based upon is love. That's who God is, and that's what life is all about, and that's the only thing that will make a difference in my children's life is if they come to grasp that with all of their hearts. Desire of Ages, page 69, says it this way. Fathers and mothers were to instruct their children that the law of God is an expression of his character, 
The, the law reveals who God is in character. So to try to get away from the law of God, to try to get rid of that is to get rid of God's character, which is what we need in order to experience the seal of God. And that as they receive the principles of the law into the heart, the image of God was traced on mind and soul. You see, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. When he comes to you, he doesn't just force upon your mind to go in a new direction. Instead, he brings principles to mind and he uses your parents. He uses those in your life to bring those principles to your mind. He uses your time in the word of God. And that begins to transform the neural pathways in your mind. And it begins to write God's character on your mind. And that transforms how you live how you treat people, how you treat your wife, how you treat your children, how you treat the person at work, how you treat your enemy down the street, changes everything for you. Then it goes on, verse 7, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You you can tell what a person is passionate about, what they really love, when you just sit down and have a conversation with them. You know, do they begin telling you about their football team? Do they begin telling you about basketball? What's the thing that, that most freely flows from your, your thoughts and your minds? When you, when you want to talk to somebody about something, what's the easiest thing to talk to them about? God wants us to be so enraptured by the beauty of his law. that We're just overflowing. Can you believe that in the law, it says actually that if a person lends his coat to a person and, and the sun's about to go down and he realizes he doesn't have a coat, that he should go and give that coat to him because he doesn't want him to be cold. And that, do you know that God cares about that? Did you know that in the law, it talks about how if a mother bird is sitting on her eggs, don't go and take her eggs from her because it'll cause trauma to that mother bird. Did you know that the Bible cares about birds? Did you know that it says, do not oppress a foreigner for you were foreigners in Egypt? Did did you know that it cares about how you treat foreigners? And and as we begin to, to think about the beauty of the law of God and then to look at Jesus and say, did you see how Jesus, that story when he went to the woman at the well and he shouldn't have been talking to her, but he just wanted to bring her the water of life. Or that woman, that heathen woman that, that, that he cast the demon out of her daughter. How, how nobody could come to him without receiving healing. How, how Jesus extended himself continually and constantly for the people around him. How his very first miracle was done at a wedding feast. Because he cared that that family would enjoy that social gathering. And as I dwell on those things, as I talk about those things it becomes more real to me. It becomes more exciting to me. So we see that that God calls us to dwell on these things, to talk about these things, that it should just be overflowing out of our lives. So just a few practical points. Talk about and with Jesus. Talk about Jesus constantly. Tell people about him. Tell what his character is like. People need to know this. Then um, tell stories about what he's done. Say, hey, this is where I was at. This is what God's been doing in my life. This is, this is how God has been working to change. These are the differences that he's made in my life. And uh, the next one is to, let's see if this comes, make prayer a part of your conversation. Something that's been so helpful to Lee and I is that we go throughout our day and we'll just, when, when something comes up and it's a problem, we'll start talking to Jesus about us. One of, one of us will just start praying right there on the spot. And it's, it's just a part of our conversation. Or when, when something's going good, to, to immediately begin to praise God for it, to thank him for it. What I want for my girls to know of their mom and dad is, well, when a problem comes up, they hit their knees right away. 
When they're happy, they thank Jesus. They're, they're constantly in this relationship with Jesus, and, and I want them to see that in me far more than I'm sure that they do. Then it goes on in verse 7. When you walk by the way, now, Back in this time, obviously, your commute would have been on foot. You would take a long time to walk somewhere. And, and, and the Bible's telling us, hey, take those spare moments when you're, when you're commuting to work. Take those moments to be thinking about God. For us today, that probably involves riding in our car. When we're driving in our car, we can take that time to focus on Jesus. We can take that time, uh, let's see, Dwell on Jesus in the spare moments. I have a few other ideas here. So while we're driving down the road, you can have it on your cell phone. You can have uh, the Bible on, on different Bible apps. You can um, have a continual focus on Jesus wherever you're at. When you're waiting in line, what, is it, what are the thoughts you're thinking? Every one of those thoughts is shaping you. If you're constantly focused on your worries and your concerns, you're going to become a more worried and concerned person. If you're constantly focused on the love of Jesus, you're going to be becoming more and more of a loving person. And this is absolutely essential because in the end, we are to be settled into the truth of who he is so that we're immovable. And then the four winds of strife are going to be let loose on this planet. And in that moment, our brain will be fully settled one direction or another. This is a life and death matter that we focus our attention on Jesus. Uh-oh. That was the wrong button to push. Can you get me started back up there? I apologize for that. Might have to run back there. Sorry about that. That was the wrong button to push. So while we take a moment, I want you to be thinking about Jesus because you get a chance to wait here for just a second. All right, so while you're brushing your teeth, think about Jesus. Um, there's, there's a constant opportunity to think about Jesus throughout your day. We'll keep going here, and we'll look at um, Scripture songs. This is another incredible way to focus on Jesus and to get it ingrained in your mind. Steve Green has some great kids' Scripture songs. And in the morning when we're eating breakfast— I'm not a super talkative person, and the girls are there eating, and so I'll often just put on some scripture songs on random, and they'll, they'll get to listen to these different Bible verses. And that makes a difference. It's ingrained in their minds, and you'll find that you'll learn it yourself. There's the sons of Korah that have written out some of the Psalms in, in scripture. You'll find lots of different scripture songs. Just Google scripture songs, and you can find them, or look on YouTube. Bible apps. You can have apps like the Scripture Typer, the Dwell app. Um, you version scripture typer is one for scripture memorization. The dwell app allows you to listen to the Bible with beautiful music behind it. The you version Bible app has lots of different versions and it has lots of different plans and it even will remind you, Hey, read your Bible. It's time for you to read your Bible. The dwell app will do that as well. But you know, something that's helpful for me, if I've been using one app too much on my, my phone, let's say you're addicted to Facebook, take that Facebook app, Move it to another part and put your Bible app right smack dab where your Facebook app was. And find out what happens during the day. Your neural pathways will direct you to your Facebook app and you'll be pushing on your Bible app. And your Bible app will open and you'll be like, oh yeah, I need to focus on the Bible. Because here's the thing. Your thoughts are shaping you. Church takes place for an hour each week. And this is not enough time to shape your life 
into the mold of Jesus Christ. It's got to be every moment of every waking moment of the day, every time you have the opportunity to be dwelling on Jesus. Because our thoughts are changing us in one direction or another. And taking time to be still. You know, turning off the TV for a while, turning off the radio, turning off other things that are distracting us, and taking time to be still, to talk to God, to pray, to spend time in his word. This is transformative, and it's what we're called to, to live in these last days. And it's what will change our brains in quicker ways than we realize. You know, I realize that my little girls, they have uh, brains that are adapting very quickly. So every night, there's a scripture song that I began singing, The Fruit of the Spirit. And it would sing, The Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then sometimes we'd have it at the breakfast table, or we'd sing it other times. And all of a sudden, we're just there in the house, and literally, Abby's doing what the Bible's saying, of just talking about these things throughout the day. And so I, I would say, the fruit of the Spirit is, and then I did it again so that you could see it for yourselves. This was, this was a month or so ago, right around her second birthday. Let's see here. The fruit of the Spirit is, I think it'll come here. Maybe you can... Kids are absorbing what we're putting in. They're beginning to, 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 to become the people that we are allowing them to become, that we are teaching them to become. And what delights me is when, when I see that that things remind my, my girls of Bible stories. Like uh, yesterday, Leah was telling me that Livy was looking down at her bib, and her bib has rainbows on it. She's like, Noah, Noah. <laughs> or they were driving down the road the other day, and they saw this hole that was dug on the side of the road. They're like, Joseph, Joseph in the pit. <laughs> so what they're thinking about is, is all these different stories. Or at Christmas time, they walked into Home Depot, and, and there is this character with a white beard that looks like Noah in the books, and so they said, Noah! <laughs> Leah had to explain, well, actually, that's called Santa Claus, and this time of year, you know, people talk about him and stuff, but yeah, I'm glad they know about Noah. And I want to do a whole lot better job of teaching my kids not just the stories, but of the character behind those stories. It goes on to to tell us in verse 7, when you lie down and when you rise up. The first thing, when you're going to sleep, the last thing I should say before you go to sleep should be to meditate on Jesus, to focus on his law, to focus on how he lived out this law of love. When I wake up, the first thing should be to take time in the Bible, to take time in prayer, to take time focused on Jesus. Um, the verse just keeps going. There's, there's lots more things there. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So the idea was not for them to think that, oh, if I just tie this string around my head, I'll have the law of God there. But sometimes we think even just that, hey, if I just memorize the law of God, then I have it there and I won't be deceived. It's about more than that. It's about entering into a relationship by finding this beautiful God to be trustworthy and saying, I want to be a part of what you have for me. And then it will transform our actions, which is represented by the hand. 
They would take, and they would tie it around their foreheads, but they would also tie around their wrist. And you can see this when you, when you go to Israel. And they would put the, that, um, it's called a phylactery, near their elbow so that they could say that the law was near their heart. It was basically in their heart. We have to be careful that we're not so focused on our external forms that we miss the spirit of the law. What it's all about in loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. They could do that and yet walk by the man beaten on the path that the good Samaritan was willing to help. Then it goes on to say, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So literally, if you go into a hotel in Jerusalem, they have these scrolls there that are like on the doorpost. And inside of them, there's this little canister. And inside of it, it actually has, you know, some of the Torah is in that. that. So they actually do this. They put it on their doorpost. They put it on their gates. And they go on about their way. And don't recognize that the whole point is, when you walk out, when you come back in, be thinking about these things. Let that be the motivating factor for why you're going where you're going and why, when you're coming back, how you're going to treat your wife and kids when you get back. Let that be the motivating factor at work. Let Jesus be absolutely everything because your thoughts are dwelling upon his incredible love for you. And you can do that literally. You can um, have a... a we have above our door as we're going out, it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is a, is a little picture that's at the top. I love whenever Leah finds, I'm always telling her, if you can just find more of those, those pictures that have Bible verses on them so that, that I just see them around the house, then it will impact my thoughts and our thoughts as a family. They'll be directed towards these things. There's lots more things. If you want more ideas or just want to dialogue about it, you have ideas, text ideas to 805-434-1710 and we could get into a conversation about more ways that that we can focus on Jesus because this is everything. It's what really matters. It's not just what happens here in church, but it's how you and I can encourage each other in getting to know what this rich, deep, precious love of God is like. And allowing it to shape us from the inside out, thought by thought, synapse by synapse, as our brain is molded into the image of God, the character of God. There's, there's one to throw it out there. If you text me, I, I can send you information about this. But right now, David Asterix, you can go on YouTube and just look for David Asterix's channel. And he's going through the desire of ages right now. 90-day challenge. It's an awesome thing. We're 20 days into it right now, and I'm listening to it. If you want a great audio version of the desire of ages, let me know. You can text me, and I would also love to send that to you. But you can just start with the beginning of that series. You don't have to catch up with him. He's doing it every day live. Uh, But you could start now and just start going through the desire of ages. Whatever it takes to have thoughts that are permeated with Jesus, thoughts that are constantly on him, to where that's what you want to talk about, that's what you want to share, where you're excited to hear more because you just want more of Jesus. We've got to wake up. Time is, is of an essence. The world that we're living in isn't getting any better. We need to be settled into the truth of who Jesus is. Isaiah eight sixteen says it this way, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. The law of God is what is the sealing factor. The Holy Spirit is going to settle us into the character of God through the law of God, which was lived out by Jesus. And ultimately, that seal comes down to a person. It comes down to the most beautiful person that you've ever met in your life. A person who you can fall in love with. His name is Jesus. Song of Solomon 
gives us this idea about sealing. Chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, Set me as a seal upon your heart. Just, just, just seal your heart with me. This is the, the lover talking to Solomon. But this picture, this is Jesus talking to you, saying, Hey, set me as a seal upon your heart. Let your thoughts be, be so enraptured with me and my love for you. As a seal upon your arm. There's this idea again of heart and mind. Uh, uh, an arm of, of, of the forehead and of your hand. For love is as strong as death. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. That's why the law was not done away with when it was nailed to the cross. Because Jesus was stronger than the grave because he lived out the law. And love is stronger than death. Selfishness was overcome by unselfishness. And it goes on to say, many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. You imagine the most intense fire ever where you could take the whole Pacific Ocean and dump it on it, and it can't be put out. This is what that love is like, and God wants to kindle that love in our hearts so that we're on fire for him, so that we're able to share him, we're able to love the least of these around us, and we're motivated by the love that burns in our souls. So at the end of Deuteronomy... It gives this practical example of talking about the law and explaining it to our children. And it says it this way. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you? When when your children say, why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we go through these motions? The answer is not, because I told you so. (laughs) The answer is not, because it's good for you. Trust me. The answer is not because God said so. Notice what the answer is. It's a story. Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, this is the, uh, an encapsulation of how you can tell people your testimony. Look, I was in total bondage. I had no way of getting out of it. I was a slave. My life was a wreck. It was a mess. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out. Who brought us out? It was God every step of the way. This is what the name Jesus means. Yahweh saves. He brought us out by a mighty hand. You could add to that story, and we didn't even want to go. We said, Moses, go away. Leave us alone. Let us stay here. We would rather die in Egypt. But God said, no, I'm taking them out. I'm rescuing them. I'm making them my precious treasure. He brought us out by a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And right before this, it said how the land that you'll be brought into, it's a land with wells already dug. It's with fruit trees already ready to bear fruit and fields already ready. It's all prepared for you. And in the midst of all this goodness, just don't forget me. Keep setting me as a seal on your heart. Don't forget me. Verse 24 continues. And the Lord God commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. The law of God is not there imposed by God in order to have you jump through some hoops so that he can choose whether or not he saves you. It's not so that he can choose to either punish you or reward you. 
The law of God is there because it's for your good. Every bit of the law. Now, we won't go into detail about this. There were laws that were given to Israel to take them incrementally out of the mess, the cesspool that they were in. There were laws about warfare that do not apply to us today. Uh, And we won't go into detail about those today. So there are laws that we have to understand that that was leading them to Jesus. But Paul says in Romans 10, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He's the end goal. When we come to Christ, we have found the law in all of its totality. And it's for our good. We need to recognize that the law is not arbitrarily imposed, but it's there just like breathing will keep you alive. Keeping the law is good for you. It makes a difference in your lives. It's the way, the pathway of healing in your life then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now Paul goes on to say in that same passage in Romans 10 that the Jews missed it because they were trying to establish their own righteousness through the law and they missed Jesus. But when we recognize that accepting his righteousness, allowing the spirit to implant these principles in our heart will change the synapses in our brain so that we're thinking more and more about him and we are embracing this character of love, then we'll be sealed, we'll become to totally trust in Jesus and we'll never doubt him again. Christ Object Lessons, page 97, says it this way. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely. Oh, I have to do this. I have to go through these motions. This is what what God is requiring of me. Because he's required to do so, will never enter into the joy of obedience. And furthermore, he does not obey. (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but just gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to do this. That's not obedience. It will be good for your life. It's going to be beneficial, but it's not obedience. That's not what God calls you to. God calls you further than that. Notice what it goes on to say. When the requirements of God are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. If it's, I want to go this way, but uh, I'm going to go this way instead. What we need is the Holy Spirit to implant the principles of righteousness into our heart. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from the love of righteousness, the love of the law of God. When I see that, and it goes on to say, the essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do right because it is right, because right doing is pleasing to God. (laughs) When I begin to recognize that, no, this is what's right, and God's law becomes so transformative to me that I realize Why would I want to do anything else? And friends, this is a high and lofty goal. But it's what the Holy Spirit will do in your life and my life as day by day we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's promised that by beholding, we will be transformed. And this isn't for you today to say, oh man, I'm so far from this. I'm so discouraged about who I am. That's focusing in the wrong direction. Those thoughts will drag you down. But it's to focus on, this is where Jesus is calling me to. This is what he's promised me. This is where he's going to take me. And he's going to complete the work which he's begun in my life. So, in closing, my wife was reading this book by a Dr. Joel Furman. It's called Disease Proof Your Your Child. And it's all about a healthy diet. 
And in this book, he's talking about what's the best diet for kids, what will help them the most. And obviously, that's not a whole bunch of junk food. But Joel has this little daughter, Kara, and she's taking, he's taking, him to, taking his daughter to uh, preschool. And at preschool, the other parents don't have the same understanding about health that Dr. Joel Furman has, obviously. And so they're giving their kids all types of junk food and things. And, and he's a little concerned, wondering, okay, how's my daughter going to handle this? Is she going to wish that she was, had the junk food, or is she going to be, how is she going to handle this? So he goes to pick up his daughter at preschool. She's six years old. And as, as he comes to pick her up, she says, Daddy, do their parents not love them? He's like, why? What do you mean? Well, they wouldn't give them that food if they loved them. He's like, well, hang on, hang on, you know. Their parents just don't understand yet, and that's part of my job as a doctor to educate them, to help them to see what will be most beneficial to their lives. But that's the way it is with you and me and God. And when I see somebody transgressing the commandments, they're, they're totally ignoring his commandments. Rather than saying, man, what in the world's wrong with you? I need to say, do you know that God loves you? <laughs> do you recognize what his love is like? And from that will be birthed a desire to follow in all of his commandments. You see, these promises, these words in Scripture are not just idle words. Moses concludes Deuteronomy by saying, these are your very life because they lead you to Jesus Christ. They're ancient words, but they're ever true. And they change you and they change me. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you not just for telling us about it, but for coming and living it out for us to see. Lord, we pray that we would set you as a seal on our hearts. That we would just constantly think about you. That, that you would be the thing that we get, the person that we get the most excited about. That your character would be the thing that we're talking about the most. Lord, when we're we're driving by the way, when we're, when we're sitting in our house, when we, when we go to bed, when we rise up, help our first and last thoughts to be of you. Jesus, would you take up all of our mental and emotional space with your love? Would you seal us? Would you settle us into the truth of who you are so that we can stand with you? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.